You're listening to the Phillies Nation podcast with Ty Daubert and Johnny Heller on philliesnation.com. What's going on, everybody? Johnny Heller here, your host of the Phillies Nation podcast, coming at you with another episode. Uh, This week, we're going to talk about the 2015 Phillies, um, a pretty eventful year um not not a good team of course but a lot happened um and then as always i'm joined by my co-host ty daubert ty we have another guest on this week uh would you like to introduce him uh uh, yes i would uh but before i do that i would like to say i'm very excited to talk about this like you said eventful team with our guest and that is jack fritz of sports radio 94 wip jack thanks for coming on how you doing man I mean, just what a team. Um, I I was initially like confused as to why you guys were talking about the 2015 Phillies, but then I started like I watched a highlight tape last night. Sadly, sadly, there was no video yearbook of the 2015 Phillies, which is preposterous because it was such an eventful year. Um, and like they're not on YouTube, so I wasn't able to find like I guess like the there was none from 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. They remade them in 17. And I, I I need a 15 year book because there's a lot going on, including the most impactful trade of the last like five years. <laughs> they should retroactively make a video yearbook 2015. Do it now. Yeah. I mean, there's there's it was an important year. Uh, it could have shaped the whole entire franchise. Um, maybe if they didn't blow the Hamels trade, we'd be in a different position than we are right now. But really, I mean, the other player they could have gotten was like Nomar Rosara, and he's also not very good. So. You know, I guess they did as bad as well as they could have. They could have got Blake Swihart or Mookie Betts. Yeah, well, that would have been nice. Or they could have got uh, um, Lewis Brinson. <laughs> yeah, that trade went well. Yeah. The one he was in. Yeah, there's no one good out there. But I'm excited to talk 2015 Phillies and ex- uh, excited, as always, to talk with you, too. Appreciate that, man. Yeah. Uh, thanks right, for coming Johnny, on. Of course, Johnny, you uh, can you can kick it off for us. Yeah. So so before before we dive in, I do want to preface this by saying that the 2015 season wasn't real. Uh, the team that won the World Series, their leadoff hitter was Alcides Escobar, and that just like defies the laws of you know what the world should be. Um, right. I think Ty agrees with that. Like this this year didn't make any sense. Um, so and that out of what happened with the with the Phillies. So um, I guess I will start it off. Matt uh, Harvey was the best pitcher in that World Series. I just wanted to say that. Like, Matt Harvey was the best pitcher in that World Series. It shows that that season was not real. Well, I still agree with the decision to put him back out there. What was that, game six? Or what was the game that he, he, can't, he was begging to go back yeah, out? Yeah, he begged Collins. It was, I don't it was remember a the game. series, right? I think, I think the, didn't the Royals win 4-1? I'm like, not. I uh, forget what game series, it was. But yeah, he begged to go out and then blew it. And then got, it was just—it was hilarious to watch. But I liked the decision. All right, so we're gonna. I'm gonna start with um, just not talk about a specific moment, but a series of moments, and that's the Michael Franco rookie breakout. Um, so. The Phillies, like during this period, they didn't really have a lot of exciting prospects. They had Dominic Brown uh, came up, you know, a few years earlier, and then he had the the stretch in in 
2016 where he was pretty good and then well not pretty good he was awesome and then he kind of fell off um but franco who they called up for a little bit at the end of 14 um really broke out in the minors and they called him up in 15 and he was really good he had there was a series in new york where he um absolutely abused the yankees um and then another thing that comes to mind is a game against the Reds at home. They were down 4-1. And in the bottom of the ninth, he had a three-run home run off of Aroldis Chapman, just to prove, again, that the process Phillies owned Aroldis Chapman. Um, but, I mean, I will stand by the the fact that Michael Franco's rookie season is the biggest tease in Phillies history. It's up there. I think, I think 13 Brown probably takes the cake, but... Um, Franco was legit starting with that, that Yankees series. And he was another one like Brown that was a legitimate, a legitimate minor league prospect. And in 2013, in the minors, we talked about it before Franco was really good. And when he came up, uh, in 2015, you know, after that short stretch in 2014, um, he, he was really good and he was you know, obviously never able to replicate it, but at the time it did look like the Phillies after, you know, they, they'd seen some Cody Ashy at third base hmm. in uh, the year or two before. And earlier they might've thought that maybe he was the answer there. But when Franco got called up, it looked like they had their answer at third base for many years to come. Uh, didn't exactly turn out that way, obviously, as he is now on the Kansas City Royals, the team that won the 2015 World Series, but, uh, you know, it, it looked like he might be something, and it just didn't turn out that way. Yeah, I mean, if Michael Franco doesn't get his hand broke in Arizona, I mean, I think he's probably the starting third baseman now, and Alec Bone's not in consideration because Michael Franco was turning into Adrian Beltre 2.0. Um, but, yeah, Franco in his first year was just so cool because you saw the talent that's kind of just jumped off the page. I mean... You saw spurts of it here when he was the best eight-hole hitter in the history of baseball. Um, but like the thing that made him so good when he first came up was he really controlled the whole strike zone. And like, you, you could try to throw him a fastball away, and he'd just take it the other way with legit power. I mean, I remember, I don't know if it was opening day, but it was definitely the first couple games of the season. They were playing the Reds, and I forget what was pitching, but it was a fastball away, and Franco just put it into the right field bleachers and it was just like oh man this is this is some stupid power um and if you told me five years from now five years later he'd be signing like a cheap deal with the royals the philly just like let him go i just wouldn't have believed you at age 27 so uh unbelievable how he just kind of teetered out just and didn't end up being really any kind of valuable in the big leagues that was the story of so many uh, you know, Philly's prospects during this time. And maybe it was because, um, you know, the the prospect system, the minor league system at this time, it, it was never ranked extremely highly. But they had they had some guys, especially Brown and J.P. Crawford, that were ranked highly themselves. But a lot of the prospects, prospects that came up uh, and showed a little bit of potential, they never really turned out. Same thing happened uh, – with Jack's guy, Aaron Altair, a couple years later. Uh-huh. But just a lot of prospects that they had, and it, it they showed some glimpses, but never fully figured it out in the big leagues for the Phillies. Yeah, of course, uh, Franco's 
2015 was enough for former Philly great Mike Schmidt to predict not once, not twice, but three seasons in a row that Franco would contend for an MVP in 16, 17, and 18. And obviously, instead, each year Franco just got worse. But, uh, you know. If if we have a short season, small sample size, yeah. I mean, could be a dark horse candidate in the AL MVP race. Right. If, if we get like a six week season, I mean, Franco had that six week period in uh, 2018 where he was tearing the cover off the ball. So anything uh, can happen. That was the worst because then it jacked up his whole overall season and people were like, oh, well, he's the highest batting average in the team. And it's like, <laughs> did you watch him? Like, did you watch Michael? Ah, he was so fr- and people still believe in him. Like people still believe Michael Franco yeah. like might be something. And man, I just. I can't, I can't believe that. So on to, on to Kansas City. Yeah, he I'm, just, he rolls over on literally everything. That's there, a, there are a lot of people who still say like, you know, Kapler ruined Michael Franco, and that, you know, benching him for Sean Rodriguez was like the worst thing in franchise history. And stuff. It's like, have you watched him for the past three years? Like, it was kind of over already. But, anyways, uh, Ty, you want to take the next one? Um, yeah, I'll take the next one here. Um, like you said, a lot to, a lot to choose from. We're not really going to go in any order here. Um, I think what I'm going to go with something that is very weird. Um, Adam Lowen at the end of this season, he was recalled to the, to the major leagues and, and was sent and he pitched for the Phillies. And now he was a pitcher early in his career, and then later he was sent back to the minors, became a position player full-time. That didn't work out, and they sent him back to the minors, and he became a pitcher again, made his return to the big leagues with the Phillies. I, rem- I remember watching that in my living room. Uh, you know, a cool story. Obviously, uh, he was not able to stick with the Philadelphia Phillies or anywhere else really, but was something interesting to watch that season. Uh, and, you know, stories of, of guys that could hit and pitch. I'm always interested in uh, two way. He wasn't exactly a two way guy, but those kind of players always interest me. Yeah. He wasn't a two way guy, but he did go one for three that season. Uh, had the highest batting average on the team. So should count for something. Wow. Two, real two way. Maybe the Rays will bring him back. <laughs> yeah i mean he's only been out of professional baseball for like uh um he's he's been out of the major since 2016 but what i can see here is that he pitched in the atlantic league in 2018 maybe he still has something left <laughs> philly, philly should give him a shot yeah it's fine <laughs> Uh, all right, that that was a short one, Johnny. You have anything right. else? Yeah, I got nothing else on Adam Lowen, um, to be quite right. honest. But I'm gonna dive in just not to a specific game or moment, but um, this was like the most this Phillies rotation out of any other rebuild years had like the most fluctuation. Um, so uh, uh, I'm gonna see. Me and Ty talked about this before we started recording. I'm going to see okay. if Jack can get this this uh, quick trivia question. Um, other than Cole Hamels, who was traded midseason, which Philly starting pitcher had the highest uh, war, baseball reference war, 
this season in 2015? Um, uh, like just over like starter or starter. Or, okay. Uh, I'll go with the uh, Nola. Nope. It would be Jared Eikhoff. Uh, oh yeah. When after he came. Hey, wait, he only made like didn't he make like what eight starts? Eight starts. Yeah. I mean, no, only yeah. 13, but yeah, um, he was worth more than anyone else. I mean, Aaron Harang made like 30 starts and he wasn't even worth that much. Um, yeah, so that's something. Um, that was back when now that was back when Jared Eikhoff was viewed as, hey, maybe this guy could be something. He was like the prime piece of the of the Hamill trade at that point. It was like, hey, we got the steal on Jared Eikhoff and we have Jake Thompson coming behind him. Uh, <laughs> And we have and this guy Nick Williams, who's got legitimate power. So um, the fact that Jared Eikhoff's already this good, I can't wait to see how good the other three are. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so Jared Eikhoff was worth. He only started in eight games. Uh, he was worth the second most war on the team. Um, so other guys who pitched for the Phillies: Aaron Harang, Jerome Williams, Adam Morgan started 15 games. Um, David Buchanan started 15 games. Uh, oh, Sean O'Sullivan started 13 games. Chad Billingsley. Sean uh, O'Sullivan allowed 16 home runs and 13 starts. So uh, that's some uh, 2019 Eikhoff level uh, production right there. Uh, Billingsley, Severino Gonzalez made his major league debut. Alec Asher also acquired in the Cole Hamill trade. Um, so it was a lot of, a lot of different guys pitching and a lot of guys who were not, uh, very productive. So you can say that again. Yeah. It was a, it was a fun team though. I mean, like Harang uh, had, a, Aaron Harang had a good little run in like May. It was like, Oh, Aaron Harang, Jerome Williams. I always liked watching Jerome Williams pitch. I don't know why. Like I'm probably the only person that really, I, I like Jerome Williams. You had the glove that was cool. Yeah. Um, and there, there was a second there where David Buchanan looks all right. Um, Adam Morgan used to be, I used to hate Adam Morgan. Like he was the bane of my existence back when he was a starter and then he became a reliever. And I was like the biggest Adam Morgan fan, um, there was, but dude, just like why the Phillies loaded up on so many guys who threw 88 to 90 is beyond me. Like whoever <laughs> thought Sean O'Sullivan was a good idea um like they had kevin correa made five starts that year um it's just like they, they brought in guys who just had no talent they drafted guys they developed guys that had no talent and you know i'm watching the game tonight from 07 and everyone in that game threw like 888 and and whatnot so i guess they just never really evolved from 07 until you know rupa has gone yeah um speaking of sean o'sullivan i'm currently Rewatching my favorite moment of the 2015 season. This came from May 17th, 2015. Sean O'Sullivan, he throws a pitch. Uh, it is called for a ball, and he's just staring off into the distance for some reason. And Cameron Rupp throws the ball back to him, and it hits him directly in the throat. And everybody, <laughs> they had to come, they had to go check him out because he took a baseball right to the throat, and it yeah. kind of sums up the whole Phillies rebuild, just how that felt for the most part. But it's so funny to watch. Like, that's probably bad to say, watching somebody get hit in the throat with a baseball. (laughs) 
but it is hilarious. It just and they they show it in slow mo and it just gets them <laughs> right in the throat. It's so funny. Well, the fact that it happened to Sean O'Sullivan is classic. Like it, if that was going to happen to any starter or pitcher on that team, it was going to be Sean O'Sullivan. Yeah, like like this is basically the 2010s. Like the Giants, everything went right. Uh, like you ever see the video of when Posey throws it into uh, into PV's glove when he isn't looking? Like it doesn't even hit him; it goes right into his glove, <laughs> just to show that everything go- went right for that team. And for the Phillies, everything went wrong, and Sean O'Sullivan got hit directly in the throat. Like it's just kind of <laughs> how things went for those two teams. Yeah. <laughs> um... Yeah, before we move on, I, I do like feel obligated to shout out the person who I saw in the Fresh Grocer on North Broad a few months back who was wearing a Aaron Harang Phillies jersey. Um, I don't, I didn't know the Phillies sold those ever. I didn't know anyone would ever buy one, but um, shout out that guy. Yeah, I just want to know like what's going through that guy's head when when he bought it. Like, did he think that Harang had a chance? Had a chance to kind of resurrect his career. I mean, like when you watch Aaron Harang, he's so fat that it's like, well, <laughs> like what is this going to really turn into? Like, he's he, Aaron Harang's Aaron Harang and Jerome Williams. Their sole purposes on that team were to literally just throw as long as they could and not <laughs> use the bullpen and just just take down like thirty starts a year. I mean, what a what a weird existence that those guys had at that point. It was like, well, you're not you're not good anymore. You're not going to get paid a lot, but hey, we'll give you the opportunity to go out and throw <laughs> like 34 starts. Uh, that starting pitching was so, so bad. It was just yeah. everybody was – it was either prospects who were not good or veterans who were washed. I'm surprised Pettibone wasn't on that staff. It felt like a Pettibone staff. Yeah, I think they let him go before the season or sometime during the season they, they released him. Um yeah, but, you know, things did, t- like, Philly's pitching was actually pretty good, like, the next couple years of the rebuild. Like, the 2016 staff was respectable. Um, Hellickson was good. Nola was good. Velasquez was good. But this this, this was definitely the worst year um, for that side of things. Um, yeah, that's an understatement. Well, especially because, I mean, after, after Hamels was gone, it was just like... Oh my god! Like, what are we doing here? <laughs> oh my god! I guess while we're we're talking about it, we might as well break down the Hamels trade and and no hitter, I guess. Um, but as everyone listening probably already knows, Cole Hamels and what was like what was pretty obvious to everyone, it was going to be his last start as a Philly because they were going to trade him at the deadline. He took the ball in Wrigley Field, and he no-hit the Chicago Cubs. Uh, last out of the game was Chris Bryant. He hit a fly ball in the center field uh, that it looked like Odubel Herrera was going to miss, but he dove to the ground after he overran it, and he caught the ball, made it very interesting at the end. And Hamels threw a no-hitter. And it looked like the Phillies, because of that, were going to really be able to capitalize, um, you know, and, and get the most out of Hamels because he was so good in his last game as a Philly. And maybe at the time, it did look like they got what they could. They took, they, uh, you know, they traded him to the Texas Rangers, and it looked like they got a good haul. Maybe 
in hindsight, they uh, <laughs> they did not get as good a haul as they could have. You know, it's debatable, but uh, but yeah, that's kind of how things played out. Do you guys have any memories from the no hitter uh, and then the trade of Cole Hamels? Uh, I mean, well, like the, every time I every time I see the no hitter, I uh, I just wonder. Like when Odubel caught it, did he know that Hamels threw a no hitter? Like he gets up so stunned, and like he's wondering. Like I guess he probably knew the game was over. I, I just ne- every time I see his face, <laughs> I'm just wondering, does he know that Cole Hamels just threw a no hitter, or is he just like, oh, do we move to the the bottom of the eighth now? Like I don't, know. <laughs> I just never know. I never really knew what he was what he <laughs> what he was thinking. Um, Maybe I think his face was more like. Oh my God! I almost just did. I just blow the no hitter. Like, did that touch the ground? I yeah, just overran that I, ball. I I always thought it was him, like not sure if he caught it or not. He like <laughs> stands there for like a couple seconds, like looking around, and then he like throws his arms up or whatever. Um, he's just saying. He's saying. He's just saying. Uh, please don't review that. <laughs> please don't <laughs> review that. Uh, I actually, I thought that I thought Brian hit a home run off the bat. Um, like that ball was that ball was crushed. Yeah, uh, if I remember, if I remember right, Ryan Howard also hit a couple balls that game that on a normal day probably would have been homers, but the wind blew it back in. Howard would and have had a same three, thing happened with Bryant. Yeah, Howard would have had a three homer day if the uh, wind was blowing out, but um, obviously yeah, he didn't. But weird. Um, that day was weird for me because I, I knew it was going to be Hamill's last start, and I was like kind of reminiscing about uh, the, the whole day and his whole career and, and all that. And I remember I was over at like Jill's parents' house, and for some reason, for some reason, like I just ended up there by myself because I guess they had to go do something. But I said I'm not missing Hamill's last start, and I was just <laughs> chilling in in my future wife's house for no reason other than to watch Hamill's last start, and he threw a no hitter, and it was just me by myself like <laughs> cheering. It was I don't I forget to this day why they were not there, but. That's my memory of the of the Hamels no hitter. Yeah, um, I mean, I just remember he was he was like he had a really bad stretch right before the no hitter. Everyone was like wondering if it was gonna affect his trade value. Uh, yeah. And then obviously he threw no hitter, um, which like it's really cool that his last trade or his last start, sorry, as a as a Philly was a no hitter. Like that's awesome. Um, and I remember. Sitting there, like thinking how cool it was, and then I just remember thinking the trade was really good. I I, I was thinking they got like really good value. I, at first, it was just reported that, that they got um I don't remember like who who came in at one time, but at first it was just Alfaro and Asher or something, and then it was oh uh, they're also getting Thompson. I don't remember, but um it looked like a pretty good haul. Uh, Alfaro was supposed to be really good, and Thompson was supposed to be really good, and then uh things kind of fell apart um as the the years went along and jake thompson lost his slider and jared eikoff got kept getting injured and then wasn't good anymore um and matt harrison never pitched as a philly although i don't think well, he was just he a was. salary dump right i know i know i know that's when i thought clentac was like oh this guy's like a genie like getting getting matt harrison and taking on the like taking on the that contract to get more prospect value back like in, in in theory, it's a good trade. It's just that they were during that. It was during that time where they were more obsessed with getting uh, like a bunch of bunch of goods rather than one probably really good. 
Like, I was so mad during the time because I was just saying, like, just trade him for one of the Yankees guys. Like, whether it be Judge, Sanchez, or Severino. Or, like, one of the Red Sox guys. Like, Mookie, Swihart, Henry Owens. Um, just get one of those guys rather than worrying about getting a whole bunch for, for them. Um, and the Phillies kind of just, they would do that. And they also do that internationally. Rather than spending big money on one guy, they try to like throw the net out and try to catch a bunch of fish. And like the Hamels trade was the epitome of that, where it was like, let's get a bunch of maybes that could hopefully turn into good rather than one probably good and like a Nomar Mazzara. Hey, listen, they yeah. spent they spent big on Jalen Ortiz. All right. 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 <laughs> that was that was that was the big one. The the weird thing about that trade deadline was um Ruben Amaro was the GM for for that deadline. Uh, and, you're right, right. And then they fired him in September. So <laughs> that they, they they let him basically dictate what you know, in the time they thought that this was going to be this was going to set up their future. It, I think that the Phillies planned for, you know, what they could get out of Cole Hamels was hopefully going to be part of the core for when they were good again. And they let a, a lame duck general manager make that trade and then they fired him before the season was even over like that's just that does not make a whole lot of sense to me like that just why would they they do that they should have brought in the gm whose only job was to make the hamlet's trade like (laughs) i didn't i didn't realize that but that's just that's just incompetence they knew that they they had they knew they were going (laughs) to fire him but they still let the the same general manager dictate what their their future was going to be it's just ba- that's baffling yeah um yeah for sure and while we're on the subject of, of trades uh we should look at the other trades made so before the season um this was kind of like the first trade of like a a real piece of the core from the whole playoff run is when they traded Jimmy Rollins uh yep. they got um, Tom Wendell and Zach Eflin in return, which honestly, like, that was a pretty good return for where, considering where Rollins was in, like, that stage of his career. Getting, you know, Eflin, who has at least done something at a major league level, was, I think that was probably a, considered a successful trade. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, yeah, I mean, J-Roll was that, cooked. What I mean, J-Roll was done. Um, I mean, getting Eflin, whether like what you think of him now, I mean, I, I think people are going a little bit overboard with the sinker, <laughs> you know, being able to be the the thing holding him back from being a Cy Young candidate. Um, but I mean, Jay Roll just was was done by that point, and getting a former first round pick, like that was that was a really really good trade. I mean, no matter which way you you kind of slice it. They got again. They got more for they got more for uh, old J Roll and and Jonathan Papelbon than they did for Hamels. <laughs> yeah, um, they also just quickly that offseason they traded Marlon Bird for Ben Lively, who uh, uh, you know <laughs> back of the rotation guy, but also not really. Uh, that's an all right uh, trade. You'll take that trade. Just, let's not say he's a back of the rotation guy. He's like, where's he even pitching this year? He was in Detroit, I think. I think. Uh, yeah. 
I think there was a time when people started talking themselves into Ben Lively a little bit, too. He could hit. He could hit. He was in the oh, he was in the starting rotation to start the 2018 season. Oh, I know. Which is pretty insane to think about. Uh, that was a team that was trying to make the playoffs. Yeah, well, it's all Gabe Kapler's fault. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I guess the 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 other big trade to talk about came at the deadline, um, and this is one that means a lot to Jack. Mm-hmm. Uh, Phillies traded Jonathan Papelbon, closer Jonathan Papelbon, to the Nationals and got prospect Nick Pavetta in return. So Jack, why don't you talk a little bit about that trade? I mean, what a momentous day. Uh, just a day that I think many, including myself, will remember as uh, the day the Phillies franchise kind of turned and uh, started valuing guys with elite spin rates and um, elite forcing fastballs. So it was, uh, I mean, just love Pavetta, and I'm so glad he's here. And um, we'll, we'll always have the Red Sox start in... <laughs> 20 was it 2017 17 yeah the Ty uh, Kelly a, game winner what a what a moment from from Pavetta um the Orioles but, game yeah well but seriously I mean think about the think about the Pavetta trade like he comes here um like had has obvious stuff um and Papelbon goes down there chokes out Harper uh like I just I couldn't believe they gave up something that actually seemed pretty good for a guy who like just wasn't the same pitcher even though like if you look at pap the weird part about papelbon is that when i watched papelbon i was like this guy's got nothing left but then his stats were always good like he was good yeah it made no everyone hated him 30 in 37 games of the phillies that year he had an era plus of 244 like papelbon was good and I don't, I never understood how. Like, obviously, the the split finger kind of, uh, the split finger kind of saved his career in a little bit. But, um, like, it's just, it's just, I can't, I can't believe the 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 value that they got out of Jonathan Powell because I think he was in the last year of his contract at that point, yeah. and it was, like, it was clearly just a salary dump. And the fact that they got something with upside like Pavetta Forum is, it's good GM work by Rube. Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at, I mean, Papelbon and, and a lot of the guys, um, you can throw Hamels in this, you can throw Utley and Rollins. They, they should have traded all these guys in like 2013 or 2014. Um, and obviously there was, you know, this perceived talent that was still there, even though it wasn't, that they, they kept going all in or half in, whatever, and not uh, committing to a rebuild. And they could have gotten more for him if they traded him in 13 or 14, but um, like you said, getting anything out of him in the last year of his contract uh, was good. And I also think the Nationals were really desperate at this point because, in you know, like what happens to the Nationals every year is their bullpen falls apart, and um, you know they tried to get Jonathan Papelbon to save it, and, and instead, like you said, Jonathan Papelbon choked Bryce Harper, and they did not win the NL East that year. Jack, what do you where do you stand on the Papelbon for the Wall of Fame uh, debate? I mean, he's their all-time leader in saves. I mean, how do you not how do you not put that guy on the Wall of Fame? Uh, I don't know who we've heard who have we heard less from since they retired, Cliff Lee or Papelbon? Ooh. Uh, 
I think it's tied. I can't. I don't yeah. think I've heard anything from either. Yeah, it's crazy. Which is weird that... because because Papelbon liked to he liked to talk. Like Lee was yeah. never that guy, but Papelbon wasn't afraid to say what he thought. Somewhere they're sitting on the Phillies millions. Um, uh, Papelbon, <laughs> I don't think should be on the Wall of Fame because he's just. But they but the funny part is that they put a Brayu on, and it's not like a Brayu was was liked here. Um, so. I guess if they get so desperate that they need to put on John the Babylon, like I, I could, I could see it. But the thing is, is that they have a long way to go because now they can put on, put in all the 08 guys. So uh, they can just stretch that out. Um, like, I wonder which, <laughs> which member of 08 gets in above Papelbon. That's like ridiculous. Is it, do we draw the line at like Romero? Pedro Feliz. Feliz? Okay. I can see Feliz that, that that being the one that people are like, are you kidding me? Um, so I don't know. Should, should should Papelbon... Who would get him first? Papelbon or, or Ryan Madsen? Oh, Madsen. I don't think... It shouldn't be. Madsen was better than Lidge, and Madsen was also a part of a more important run. I mean, Papelbon was just good, and they paid him a lot of money, and everyone hated him, but like, <laughs> Madsen was actually good and had some moments in the postseason member of bridge to lidge and uh like i was looking at the stats last night and it's just like wow he was definitely better than brad lidge like brad lidge had the one year but madsen was definitively better papelbon had an overall i said this on our i think 2012 episode papelbon had an overall had a better phillies career than brad lidge did yeah lidge was horrible for in oh nine, that wasn't oh eight. Like, oh nine, he was so bad. Even Hamels cost them the World Series. So bad. More Hamels, but. Are, um, Papelbon or Moyer in the in the Wall of Fame? Moyer. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Blanton. What about Blanton? <laughs> Bland put them over the top. Their rotation oh. wasn't good enough. Because <laughs> he didn't lose a game in a Phillies uniform in oh eight. Well, they they had Adam Eaton. Is Adam Eaton get in there before Babylon? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I, think, I do think that's where we uh, draw the line. <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh, while we're still talking, Papelbon, Johnny, do you want to talk about the game where Papelbon became the Phillies' all-time saves leader? Sure. Yeah. Uh, touch on it quick. Um, I think it was. Early May against the Pirates, uh, the Phillies were up 2-1, and uh, Steve LaMardozzi was on third, and um, t- one out, and then Jordy Mercer hit a fly ball to Jeff Francoeur, um, pretty shallow, and LaMardozzi went, and Francoeur just threw a bullet to the plate, got him, and that was it, and Papelbon became the all-time saves leader. It was a pretty pretty exciting ending to... Um, for him to get that. Did you start tearing up a little bit? Of course. Who didn't? Knowing that you just witnessed history. Jeff no, Francoeur. Jeff Francoeur had a hose. He did. Dude, you guys were you guys were crapping on Jeff Francoeur before the podcast saying he was bad. Jeff Francoeur was like the best part of the twenty fifteen Phillies. Like he was he was fun. He looked like he actually enjoyed playing baseball. Uh, he had a nice little 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 renaissance year for for Jeff Francoeur standards. Um, hit absolute tanks when he made when he made contact. He Jeff threw Francoeur. a ball behind him. Yeah, the, the, the play in 
like right field where it bounced off the wall and he he first he drop he picks it up drops it picks it up again and throws it and like it falls two feet in front of him or whatever (laughs) (laughs) also a great pitcher i mean just had it all jeff franco was was the the full package but i i look back very fondly in the jeff franco era on the phillies like he he was a part of that legendary legendary bench player kind of one-year guy like him franny uh tomas perez he's he's right in there of one-year legend i said i said the same thing about franzen and i think this applies to francor too if he was on uh one of the 07 to 11 teams he'd probably Uh, be like one of the folk heroes that people think about a lot for sure i totally agree definitely definitely with franzen well, Franzen had some awesome moments, but that was, what, 13, 14? Yeah, 13. Back when the run was ending. Yeah. Um, um, while we're on the subject talk about, of Frank Yeah, Frank Corps pitching. Uh, yeah, so this was a game in the, against the Orioles in June. Uh, I think Jerome Williams started, and he got – well, he got lit up, and then I think he was hurt. And then Dustin McGowan came in and also got lit up. And by the seventh inning, the Phillies were losing 15 to three. And so um, Jeff Frank core came into pitch. Um, but there, there were still two innings left that they had to get through. And like he was struggling a little bit. <laughs> he ended up throwing 48 pitches, which is kind of ridiculous. And I just remember Chase Utley getting really angry. Uh, At the pitching like, coach. Yeah. It's like yeah. a mound visit. They're making a mockery of the sport. Like it was just <laughs> it was so just bad. Like McClure is waving the white flag. Um, I hated Bob McClure. Bob McClure was was awful. Uh, but yeah, no, I remember. I remember how mad up. It's like Utley. <laughs> that, I think that was the moment where he first was like, "All right, you know what? I will accept the trade out of here. Like, uh, I don't. <laughs> I don't need to do this." Man, that was that. What a look! What a look that is. <laughs> just the worst baseball game ever. Like I actually think the 2015 loss to the to the Orioles was worse than the 19 to 11 loss to the Marlins. The the famed 1911 loss to the Marlins, where in the second or third inning, I said that Vince Velasquez looks like he yeah. has it figured out. He, he texted me that he was right. Ty texted me that he was right about Vince Velasquez being back. <laughs> He had a good five five start stretch before that, and then he it blew up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, Vince Velasquez is the Mike Franco of, of starters. I mean, he just he tantalizes and then just goes back to being Vince Velasquez or Mike Franco. That's, yeah. that's a, a pretty solid comparison, I must say. Sort um, sort of sort of like another Philly nope. starting pitcher that I could think of. Totally. <laughs> He's more like he's more like Altair. All right, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, another uh, this one is similar. I believe this one was in 2015. Um, is the game? This is similar to when Utley yelled at Bob McClure. Is the game where Sandberg and McClure and Giles were all screaming oh, oh. at each other in 2015? <laughs> oh, such a great moment. I love that. I love that because like Ken Giles is definitely just has to be some guy. Like it has to be crazy. Like, Ken <laughs> Giles, he punched himself in the face. 
Yeah, yeah. And that was the first time we saw it. Because remember, cause remember, he was in the minor leagues that, like, that leading up to that. And the articles were slowly starting to come out of like 100-mile Giles. And I think I was doing, oh, yeah, I was doing Phillies Baseball Academy at that point. So we would be going down to the ballpark like once a week to, to, to um, you know, get <laughs> speeches from like Cody Ashey and just like horrible players in the Phillies. And I remember I went into Ken Giles, I saw Ken Giles' locker, and it had 100-mile Giles on his glove. And it was like his second week in the big leagues. And I was like, oh, this guy's just going to be the closer forever. Um, and and that that game against the Pirates happened. And I remember thinking like, oh, this guy's crazy. <laughs> the, 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 way, the way he reacted to that was just like among the most anger I've seen from a player towards a manager. Like just I, I couldn't believe. Like, you just don't see that. Um, what but was I it I, over? I think I, I forget. I've watched it. I, I was just watching it like on a loop about a couple months ago. Um, and I forget what it was. Maybe like he didn't throw at someone and they wanted him to throw at someone or or oh no 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 that's what it was. They uh, they wanted to intentionally walk a guy and he didn't want to do it, but he yep. he gave it. And then he freaked out. He freaked out in the dugout. It was amazing. Yeah, I just I just was trying to find it and I couldn't find it. Um, but the, all the articles: Ken Giles angrily punches himself in the face. Uh, Ken Giles angrily curses out manager AJ Hinge. Ken Giles throws accountability bomb at Blue Jays camp, and then Ken Giles goes to anger management. Cool. So well, at least he finally got it right in the end. Yeah, I mean he he was so good, like. Uh, in 14 and 15, like he was just ridiculous, and it was pretty clear that they had to trade him because the team was so bad. He was just like a luxury. There was no point in in keeping him. Yeah, um, that was my first. That's when I first really started getting into like GM stuff. Because like honestly, 2015 was the first time I really kind of got back into the Phillies, which is like a weird time to get back into the Phillies. Um, I know that's like surprising coming from me, but like during from uh, like 2012 was my freshman year of college. And I was playing baseball at that point. So, like, I would just have practice until late at night. So I barely even got to watch games. Um, and, like, even, like, the Astros series, I barely remember that uh, in 2012. And then 13, also playing baseball, 14, whatever, same thing. 15 was the first time I was able to kind of just hang out and, and watch the Phillies again. And I just didn't – I saw people starting to tweet about trading Ken Giles. And I was like, why? He's, like, our only good guy. And then you start realizing, wow, like they could, they could actually get something for them because they're not going anywhere. It's more about the next two to three years rather than this year. Um, and you know, fortunately, they got again, they got nothing. But they got uh, Brett Oberholzer. Come on, right, right, yeah. And then uh, Mark Appel. Because um, <laughs> well, wasn't there? Oh, I thought because I I thought I remember it breaking that day, and it was going to be McCullers in the deal. Uh, I think Derek Fisher was Derek Fisher was supposed to be in the deal. Right, 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 right. So, um, just like crazy, if they would have just done the other side, maybe we'd have another piece. But nevertheless, yeah, that was that was Clentax, Matt Clentax's first trade, I think, as general manager, because yep. that was December of 2015. Um, but yeah, Ken Giles had struck out 14 guys for nine innings last year. He's back, but, you know, 
throws too hard yeah. for the Phillies. He does throw too hard for the Phillies. Yeah, also in, in 2015, Sandberg, uh, as we mentioned, you know, the players seem to not get along with him, uh, everything like that. He he resigned this season, correct? Yeah. All right. Yeah, he resigned. McCann. No, I thought he. I thought. I thought Sandberg did all of 15. Resigned half of 16. McCann finished out 16. Managed all of 17, and then they fired him. No, no. Sandberg resigned in 15, and then, and then McCann took over. So McCann was was part of 15, 16, 17. But wasn't McCann's contract was through the end of 18, and then they. They gave him the, that fraud extension so that yeah, he didn't exactly like manager. Yeah. Yeah. Um. yeah. The Sandberg tenure, they, they, um, I, I think they really thought that he was going to be the next great Phillies manager, and it just did oh, not yeah. work out at all. Well, I think the the biggest red flag that uh, was that like for some reason the Phillies were just you know blind to was the Cubs had a manager position, and they didn't even, like, interview him. <laughs> that should probably tell you something about the guy that you're replacing Charlie Manuel with. The, 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 the team that he became a Hall of Famer with had a manager opening, and they just said, no, no, we're good. That, that, at that moment, we should have all been like, oh, this is not going to this is not gonna end well. He'll always have that, uh, that Iowa Cubs run. <laughs> Oh, he was also he was also the AAA wasn't he the AAA manager of the year with the the Iron Pegs. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Not bad. The Phillies were just trying to they were just trying to make up for when they traded they got fleeced and traded him and then he had an amazing career. They were just trying to bring him back and get something out of him, but you know. Yeah, when Dallas Green left and stole <laughs> stole our players. Yeah. It's um, awesome. Yeah, the Pete McCannon era was was something else for sure. Um, but that that is something we'll talk about more, I think, on future episodes. Yeah, um, I would the, say so. There's the a Noel lot of quote. And the, and he had things to say. There's no point in playing Tyler Goodell anymore. Um, but yeah, um, speaking speaking of Nola, he did make his debut in 2015. Uh, only about a year after he was drafted, he gave up a home run to the pitcher in his debut. Yeah, but other than that, he was good that day. I remember watching that game on TV. Uh, I was at the beach, and I was, I was like telling my parents, I was like, yo, I really want to go to this game. And they're like, you're like 15 years old. We're not letting you go on a train to the Phillies game by yourself. And I was like, all right, makes sense. But I watched it on TV. And he gave up a home run to the pitcher, which I thought was very amusing. But uh, yeah, he was he was solid. He was solid that year, and obviously he would grow into one of the best Phillies homegrown pitchers in a while. I mean, yeah, you, you enjoyed uh, you enjoyed uh, Aaron Nola's debut at the beach, which we all know is the best place to watch the Phillies. Um, I was watching Aaron Nola's debut at at a uh, wing night at PJ's, which is a phenomenal time. <laughs> <laughs> Chief wings on Tuesday nights, um, and you know you watch them, and it's like, oh, look, a guy that can actually throw decently hard and have more than you know two pitches. What a yeah. what a concept! 
<laughs> a th- Phillies a finally three. Just... They finally got a three in <laughs> the words of Pete McKenna. Uh, what a what an inspiring <laughs> inspiring manager Pete McCannon must have been. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Aaron Nola is easily the best player that they homegrown player since what Utley. Hamels was Utley. Uh, I guess Hamels came up after after, but since him. It's yeah, not, it's definitely Nola. not many uh, other guys. Uh, Joe Savory had a moment for a little bit there but uh yeah i'd say i would say nola for sure i mean i mean like isn't isn't by war like his war alone has made the phillies like look like decent drafters since <laughs> since 2013 i mean what what is that they like the fourth highest war amongst draft picks since 2013 and it's like nola and then hoskins like one and a half war and it's it, it's just completely jacked up their numbers to make them look like they know what they're doing in the draft it's it's frustrating, but it was it was a good start to a, a, a fun era for Arnola. Yeah. Um, while we're on the topic of you know Phillies prospects, should mention that in 2015 they drafted Scott Kingery. Um, they also drafted Cornelius Randolph about four, 14 spots ahead of Walker Bueller. Um, ah, he's the best pure hitter in the draft. Uh, <laughs> and many compared him to Tony Gwynn. I remember. I remember, I remember watching the draft that night, and I think Harold Reynolds compared him to Tony Tony Gwynn. I was like, "What are we doing? <laughs> are, we, are we serious?" Um, but yeah, yeah, just just awful. But I, I actually, do you guys remember the Kingery draft? Like, it, it felt like in the moment that it, it felt like they got a steal. Yes, uh, and it felt like this guy's gonna be good. Uh, it's it's similar to how I how I felt when they signed or when they drafted Nick Matten, um, but he's definitely not the caliber of prospect that Scott Kingery is. Yeah, Kingery is definitely a good a good pick and up uh, relatively soon and on a very cheap deal. So that was another uh, like Nola, another good job yeah, there. I mean, it's a they're easy to pick out. I'm not sure if that's how you want to be running things where you can count. Uh, you know, all the the steals on one hand and be able to pick them out so easily. But uh, it was a good a good job by the Phillies there. The Phillies have just, in general, also just done a lot better drafting guys from, out of college than the high school guys. Like, Kingery was co- from college. Hoskins was out of college. Adam Hazley was out of college. Like, they watched Moneyball. What can you maybe, say? Maybe it speaks more to their um, oh, ability oh. to develop players, but... Yeah, we don't have to go into that. They watched Moneyball and they recognized that in 2002 they realized that drafting college players was much safer. Um, what else from 2015? Uh, I have a I have a quick anecdote. Uh, It's one of my favorite random baseball stories. Um, so the last game of the season, Phillies were playing the Marlins and um. For some reason, I didn't want to go. I think I had like a algebra test the next day or something. I don't know. I was a sophomore in high school, um, and my dad really wanted to go. Um, and try kept trying to convince me, and he was like, "Johnny, like, you know, what if like Ichiro pitches and we miss it or something?" And I I just kept saying like, "No, I can't go. I have an exam. I got to study." And then um, I had the game on in the background that day, and 
of course, in the seventh or eighth inning, Ichiro comes in to pitch. And I, I had to run downstairs to my dad and be like, you were, you were right. That was just like a massive coincidence, but um, yeah, that's like that's like one of those things that makes baseball cool. Like, uh, hey, Johnny, Ichiro might pitch today. <laughs> it's like, it's like, well, he's not wrong, you know. But in any, <laughs> like, in almost in almost any other sport, like that just never happens. But that's that's part of what makes baseball the best. Uh, another moral of this story uh, for any kids listening just don't study like don't don't do it high school doesn't matter like at all so uh, I'm, just... glad, I'm glad you finally realized that after after high school oh i <laughs> i i realized that after like well it doesn't matter now but halfway through high school i think i started to realize i can't, realize believe, that. I can't believe we're this far in this podcast and we didn't mention grady sizemore um there was a there was a moment there where the Phillies found the diamond in the rough to, a rough in bringing back Grady Sizemore, and then he was just awful. Um, but in the I think the opening weekend he had a big hit, and I was like, see, this team knows what they're doing. Also, Ben Revere was on that team, and I just I, I put out that tweet of like my least favorite Philly since 2000, and maybe I just remembered it differently, but. I thought Ben Revere was a lock. And then everyone got mad at me for having Ben Revere on there. And I was like, Ben Revere was terrible. Like, Ben Revere was a horrible baseball player. And by that point, he was stopped. He, like, refused to steal any more bags. And he was just a, a 300 slap hitting center fielder that had, like, the worst arm I've ever seen from a center fielder. Uh, I, like, I think people remember fondly, like, 2013, 2014, Ben Revere where he, like, led the big leagues in hits, even though they were all singles. And then by this point, it was like, oh, Ben Revere is just a bad baseball player. But I guess those people just weren't uh, watching the Phillies as intently as I was in the 2015 season. He got I mean, traded that year, right? Yeah, in for, for, yeah, for a couple of relievers. Right? Jimmy Cordero and... Uh, Toronto. And they both threw 100. And I was like, oh, we got some steals for Ben Revere. But, of course, they both had no idea where the ball was going. <laughs> Yeah, Revere had Revere. that. He had that. He had that awesome catch uh, for the Blue Jays again. I think it was against the Royals in the playoffs. Uh, he was playing left field. They they lost the the series. Obviously, as we said earlier, the Royals went to they won the World Series. But he made like a potentially game saving catch at, in the in the playoffs. Wait, what series is that though? Because wasn't um. Wasn't it Texas versus Toronto? And yeah, and that was in the ALDS. Because uh, Hamill started the uh, Hamill started the Bautista game. Yeah, yeah. So it was uh, they won the Bautista game, uh, and it the the series afterwards they played the Royals and uh, lost in six or seven. You think you think baseball is excited? They had a uh, <laughs> Toronto versus Kansas City ALCS. Yeah, I mean, like I said at the at the start of the podcast, like 2015 was weird and doesn't count because I mean the Mets made the World Series. I yeah, mean, that's it, that's the, that's why this season doesn't even count. Right. The Mets had the more talented team, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Everyone was, was when, healthy for a second. They, uh, they traded uh, they traded Fulmer for Cespedes, and he was just he was just like 07 September Howard for the whole second half. Um, Daniel and, Murphy went off in the entire playoffs. Oh, uh, that's when he went to uh, Chicago and 
lit them up, and everyone's like, "This isn't, this isn't real." I mean, Daniel Murphy turned turned into Barry Bonds for a world <laughs> for a playoff run. Like, what a stupid, what a stupid time. Yeah. In the World yeah. Series, they began the World Series with an inside the Parker off of Cespedes' <laughs> leg because <laughs> Cespedes was playing center field. Like, what are we doing? I do miss Terry Collins though. Oh. <laughs> uh, the the Terry Collins video from 2016 is the the greatest it's thing awesome. in history. <laughs> I love it. I could watch that every day in my life. It's so good. I think I think you text me the quote from it nearly every day of your life. So you got you got to give him a shot. <laughs> Great quote to live by. <laughs> in the jackpot. <laughs> so good. Uh, all right, the twenty, the twenty fifteen Phillies. You got anything else, Ty or, or Jack? I, I think I'm good. I think we covered most of it. Yeah, I just would. I mean, the old monster made made an appearance on that team. Just many, many legends of a of a horrible era of Phillies baseball. Like, like, dude, I don't remember this. Do you guys remember uh, Justin DeFreitas pitching in sixty one games that year? Oh my God. I, <laughs> I do remember him pitching in in a lot of games over a few seasons, and then that's a lot of that's a lot of Defreitas. His, his <laughs> ERA plus that year was seventy. <laughs> I mean, he was just he was just dumb by that point. I I don't know. Like the, the 2015 Phillies was kind of my uh, my reemergence into really getting into baseball. I remember being into the draft. I remember being into um, you know the trades they made and. I remember where I was for all the trades, um, and it was a it was a for as bad of a team as that was. I mean, you have the Altair inside the park home run. Like there was at least that team had hope. Like Eikhoff kind of did a little bit. Um, like they, they they brought it. Like Franco obviously had his moments. So at least with that team, you kind of saw the makings of what could possibly maybe someday be something. Uh, which we kind of that's what made you know eighteen and. And 19 so frustrating. Well, even 19 wasn't that frustrating, but 18 so frustrating. It's like it felt the whole. It felt like the whole thing stalled. But 15, you're like you felt like the Phillies were on the right trajectory. Uh, you felt like they were doing the right things, and uh, it was a it was a fun little team to kind of watch on a night in night out basis. Yeah, and uh, something we we forgot. You, you know, you mentioned he they had some guys. Uh, Altair did come up, I think, in August, and he was like really good he hit a bunch of extra base he had 33 hits and you know almost half of them more than half of them 19 of 20 of them were extra base hits uh including uh inside the park grand slam against the nationals um and obviously 2017 was his real breakout year um but he was another guy who looked like he might be something yeah um, he was yeah. he was a jack fritz guy right there uh-huh. Dude, he's well. Thank God, high hopes wasn't that big at that point, or else like my whole baseball credibility would be gone because of, <laughs> of Altair and Pavetta. Um, but, but yeah, I loved I loved Altair, and then I realized he couldn't hit a breaking ball to save his life. But 2017 Altair, I, I, I've said it a thousand times, that was a valuable baseball player. I think I think, I think his stats were like 277, 343. Like just a good solid baseball player. I thought we had the next Jason Worth, but it's close. Two seventy two, three forty, five sixteen. I'm looking at it right now. 
his dad, when, when Aaron Alper got DFA'd, his dad uh, messaged me and said, thank you for the support. Let's go. That's awesome. <laughs> listen, listen. One piece of advice. Get behind guys early and don't jump ship unless they turn into Mike Franco. Yeah, that's a, a lesson that I think a good way to end this this podcast. <laughs> oh wait, no, we we gotta talk about Utley. Oh, you're right, you're right. For Darnell Sweeney. I mean, what a gross. And thing. Chase Utley played. And he broke Ruben's out his leg. So yeah, yeah. Happened. Uh, uh, honestly, Utley was the guy I just would I would have been just fine if he stayed here forever. Like, I, I understood moving on from them, but if they were really going to do it, they should have done it, you know, two years earlier. And <laughs> the play we got back was just so pointless um, that it felt like, man, I'd rather just have Chase Utley here. But uh, They know. probably could have got a haul if they traded him the year before. Oh, man. I mean, well, because the year before, did he make the All-Star team in 2014? Yeah, he was good. Yeah. He was on fire for, like, the first two months of the season. He had over 300, didn't he? Yeah, um, and the well, not the whole season, but not the whole season, but heading into the All Star break, I think yeah. he's sitting over 300. And the the Phillies got Darnell Sweeney, and then they just traded him back to the Dodgers like a year later. Yeah, for, said hard. You can have him. Back. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I do. I mean, Ty always talks about this how um, Chase Utley now just always embraces himself more as a Dodger. Like he was like a guest instructor in camp and and. He dropped um, the puck on Dodger uh, at Dodger night at the LA Kings. Yeah. Um, he thinks of himself as a Dodger. <laughs> I don't think he does, but it's disappointing how much he's like embraced it. But then I think, well, he's got his two kids out there. He's not going to leave them to come <laughs> to Philly. Like his whole life's in LA. So I get it. And he still wants to be around the game, but it's pretty disappointing. I, could, I, could I think use it's him. funny. I, I, I like it. it. It's oh, funny to me. Yeah, but- but when you say that, like, he also did the thing, because remember, what was the Instagram video, like, last year? Like, he was sad about not being able to go to the Phillies game. So, I think I think it's still in there. Yeah, for sure. Like, I don't think... He, he won a World Series in Philadelphia. Like, he definitely... Well, and he also never got criticized in Philadelphia. Like, he's beloved. That's true. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts before we wrap things up? I'm good. I kind of gave my final thought. I mean, shout out to shout out to Ruben Amaro Jr. for for bringing Nikki Pavetta to Philly. Um, just a legendary trade. Would you say it's the best trade in Philly's history? Ah, uh, it's up there. Um, especially especially once this season gets started, I mean, get him on the mound and break out Pavetta with a shortened arm. Uh, I'm yeah. excited for it. So if uh, if the season gets started, well, 40 game season. Short season Cy Young Pavetta. Short, yeah. Short season Pavetta can definitely win a Cy Young. He can, yeah. he can pitch well in eight starts. Yeah, unfortunately, it's going to mean the end of uh, Jay Hiralmuto as a Philly. But um, <laughs> sure, short, short arm, <laughs> short season Pavetta is going to win Cy Young. All right, uh, I think that is a good thing to wrap things up on. Um, so thanks again, Jack, for coming on, uh, and. Yeah, uh, talk to everyone next week when we talk about the 2016 Phils. You 
can listen to the Phillies Nation podcast with Ty Daubert and Johnny Heller every Wednesday on philliesnation.com and all streaming services.